Okay, so this is a recording of Daf Kufnem Aleph, 141. We're going to go from the Mishnah, which starts on the fourth line. So just before we go into it, remember straw is mutar, is muktza, because it is useful. It's primarily used for firewood. Now the question is, this person wants to use the straw to sleep on. So it says, Hakash al gabe amitevle, straw on a bed, lo yenaneinu beyodo. He's not allowed to move it with his hand. Elo but he can move it with his body. I, when he lies down, he can like push it with his shoulders, etc., to get it in a nice, comfortable position. Again, he wants to like fluff it up, get it um, in the right uh, positions to be comfortable. Again, with his hand, it would be also, but with his body, it would be mutar. If it was fit for animal food, then it's not mutza. Or even if it's not fit for animal food, but he had put the pillows and blankets on it, then he can even move it with his hands. Why does putting pillows or blankets help to move it for his hands? So, uh, help allow him to move it directly, Bayado. So that is because it's not mukts anymore. He's already designated it to be used as a mattress for lying on, and it has the same status of a clee. And that would um, we would theoretically apply that to anything, even something that is mukza machmas gufo, that is what we'd call intrinsically or mukza. If you designate it, put it somewhere or do something with it, that makes it useful as a kli, then it would not be muktzah. second part of the Mishnah discusses a machbesh. A machbesh is a press, an iron. Basically, they're irons. It would be two strong boards or two heavy stones that they would press, put the clothes into press um, and take out all the wrinkles now and creases. Now, on each corner of the bottom one, they would have sticks going up, and then they would slot the the bottom one, the, the top one would go through those poles onto the bottom one, and you would clip pegs in to the poles to hold the bottom one down firmly so it squashes the clothes hard. So, machba shel balabatim, a home press, matirin avalokochin. You can open it to take clothes out, but you cannot close it. And Rashi says the reason is because you're preparing for, off to put clothes in and close it. To put clothes in and close it would be preparing for after Shabbos. V'shel koivsim lo yigabo. But if it's belong, if it's a laundromat, the dry cleaner's press, you're not even allowed to touch it. It's mutza. Rabbi Yehuda Eimer im mutar me erev Shabbos matir eskulo If it was loosened on erev Shabbos, you can open it completely and remove the clothes. Now, the question is, why is a clothes, why is a koifsim, why is a laundromat press muktza? So Rashi says, because they would fit theirs together so tightly that it's considered soiser breaking. The Rambam says a different reason. He says it's because it's a klisha malachtol isur. Sorry, muktza machmas chesron kis. Remember, we've discussed many different types of muktza. One type of muktza is something that you very particular to only use it for its purpose because you don't want it to get at all ruined for when you want to use it for another purpose. Um, so for example, as we've said before, you're never going to let anyone use it for cutting meat in case it gets a nick and it's and you can't and it's not useful as a 
as a shrit and answer. So too, the koi vase is never going to let you use its press for anything else. Either it will get dirty or it will get uh, dented and it won't press properly. And if it's dirty, it will ruin the clothes. So he's very particular that it's not used for any other purpose. Therefore, it's mutza machmas chesron kiss. Okay. Omar Abnachman. Hi, pulga milmala lamata shori. Milmata lamala osu. This radish, if it's put in the ground from top to bottom, I the thick part at the top, it's fine to take it out. And if it's put in with the thick part at the bottom and the thin part at the top, you're not allowed to take it out. What's going on here? So they used to keep their radishes in the ground, I don't know, to get, keep them fresh or store them. Again, obviously we're not speaking about one that's still growing because that's definitely a malocha, but just for storage. Now, if it's the thick parts at the bottom, when you pull it out, you're not going to move any earth, so it's fine. But if it's in upside down, when you pull out the thin part, it's going to move all the earth that's balancing on it. And that would be also, that would be forbidden to move the muk to earth. So Omar Abarabarava, Omri Beirav, Rav Abarabarava said, we said in the Yeshiva Tanina, Deloike Rav Nachman. Our mission is not in line with Rav Nachman. Hakashal Gaveamita Loi and Ainenabiyoto. This straw that is on the bed, you're not allowed to move it. With your hand, aval menaneo begufo, you can move it indirectly with your body. Ve'im hoyo machel behema, and if it's animal, this is not so relevant to us. But we finish the quote. Ve'im hoyo machel behema, oisha hoyo olav karoi sadin. If it's animal food, or there was a pillow or blanket on it, menaneo beyoto, you can move it by hand. I Rav Nachman came along and said, you can't move the sand indirectly. What's called tiltul minhat sad, even though you're just picking up the radish and the sand's going to fall off it. That's still Osur. Whereas Al Mishnah says you can move the straw in a tiltuminatsad in an indirect way, eye through your shoulder, etc. So Shmamina, tiltuminatsad, loishme tiltul, shmamina. We see very clearly from Al Mishnah that tiltuminatsad is not considered tiltul. I indirectly moving something is permitted. Now, this is a little bit of a discussion. When are you allowed to move mukta and how are you allowed to move mukta? Now, Toysfus primarily discussed this on Daf. Mem Gimel, but there, and he brings a whole lot of cases where sometimes, like here we say, Tiltul Minatzad is clearly permitted, like our Mishnah, but elsewhere we see many examples where Tiltul Minatzad is also, for example, there it's discussing a mace. You're not allowed to move a mace indirectly under normal circumstances, oh, but it's Tiltul Minatzad. So, Toysavus and the Ran explain what's the difference. He says, it depends on your motivation. If your motivation is to move the muktza, then even indirectly is osur. If your motivation is to for to move heter, then indirectly would be permitted. So he wants to say when you're moving them, and they would have to say as follows, a little bit, I think a little bit difficult to read, but when you're moving the straw, that's you moving it for you to be able to sleep. So you're so therefore tiltilmanatsad indirectly. Moving it would be permitted. Um, I think, yeah, the pulga, I'm not so clear. Moving the radish, unless you say you have to move the earth to get it and you can't without it or something like that, or it's so direct because your hand's right by the sand, but that would be the example. And that's the rosh and the run, sorry, the toysis and the run's distinction, again, primarily. What is your intention to move the mukta? 
then even indirectly tiltum in outside would be forbidden. Or if you're, but if your intent is to move something permitted, your intent, the whole reason you're moving it is for a permitted, for something that you are allowed to move and you can move, then it would be permitted. The Rosh, again over there, in Perek Gimel, gives a different chiluk. And based on ours, he says, our case, you're moving the straw because you're moving the straw. So how can you say you're moving it for a heter purpose? So you're moving it because you want to move the straw. You want to fluff it up. You want to make it thicker by your head or something like that. So he says that, so therefore, the Rosh comes up and gives a different distinction. He says, if you're moving it with your hand, then even indirectly is forbidden because it's very close to being directly with your hand. But as soon as you're moving it with another part of your body, with your foot, with your shoulder, etc., then it would be what we call tiltum and atzad that is permitted. Um, and that's actually our shulchan oruch paskin. There are a few other distinctions, but that would be the primary distinction. And that's why people are often quite lenient to move muktzah with their foot. Because again, if you're not moving it with your hand, it should be far. It's tiltum and outside and mutar. As I said, there are other qualifications, but that would be the primary, the primary aloha. Carrying on, Omar of Yehuda. It seems once we're discussing a shinui, we go on to a few other cases of shinui. Omar of Yehuda, honey pilpil, made a chada chada bakasa de sakina, shori, tarti of osir. If you want to crush peppers with the back of the knife, or the handle of the knife, you're allowed to one at a time, but not two at a time. Ah, if you have this double shinui, then it's permitted. The double shinui is first you're using the back of the knife. That's not a normal way to crush things. The handle of the knife, that's not the normal way to crush things. And secondly, you're doing it one at a time. Rava Amarava says, Kivin Damashani, since you're doing such a major shinui using a handle of a knife, Afilu Tuvanami, you can crush as many as you want. Okay, again, generally it would be considered grinding, Grounding, which is a osudoraisa, but here you're doing it in such a odd way, it's permitted. Omar of Yehuda mandach sochi b'maya lingam nafshei b'reisha b'hadelislok. If someone went swimming in the river, they have to, or washing themselves in the river, they must dry themselves before they get out, because they might come to carry four amas b'karmelis and a karmelis. Again, we're not assuming that it's a rishus harabim because you're not going to, uh, the public aren't going to walk right by the river. Therefore, just by the river, it's a karmelis. But again, as soon as you start walking, the water that's on you is being carried four amas. Ihachi ki konochis nami kodochi koychodalat amos for Ah, oh, but then you run into trouble even when you're getting into the water because what happens as you jump into the water, step into the water, you end up. By moving your body, causing a whole lot of water to move more than four amos. So you're also carrying. Imagine like throwing a ball. So the Gemara answer, no, something moved by your koach, by your force, is not osur in a karmelis. So therefore you can get into the water, you can move around, but when you're getting out of the water, you run into trouble. Um, because if you start walking, you end up carrying a lot of the water. The Rishonim already asked, what about if you caught walking in the rain? You're walking home from Shul, you're going through the Rishus Harabim, and it starts to rain. Now you've got all water on you. So as the Rishonim already discussed this, but the Orach HaShulchan says it clearest, clear, uh, clearest 
So I'll just read it from him quickly. It says, If someone's washing in a river, they need to dry themselves very, very well before they get out. So that you don't end up carrying, so that you're not carrying the water for Amos and the Carmelists. Because when he gets up from washing, there's a lot of water on his body. It says, What happens if he's walking in the Rishus Harabim and some water goes on his head or his clothes? It says, no one's particular about it. Shema'atim heim, it's a very little bit of water. It says, If it is a lot of water, what else? What is he able to do? You get stuck in a storm. Your clothes are drenched. You're full of water. It's, you can't tell the difference if you would have jumped in the pool with your clothes on or you went walking the Rishush Rabbi, it was such a storm. She says, it's impossible. It's out of your, it's oines. This is a psik ratio which he doesn't want. I'll discuss that a little bit more further down the Amud. Which is not the same when you go washing in the river, when your, your intent was to wash, then all the waters on you, you're happy about, etc. And therefore by a river you have to be careful, but not when you get stuck in the rain. And then he mentions a few other issues with bathing or washing or swimming in the river. And therefore, um, in Halacha Tess, he mentions very famous, well-known things. Says, Since there's so many stumbling uh, ways to stumble if you go wash in the river, we have an early, early minag that you never wash in cold, your whole body in cold water on Shabbos. And so to the Maril rites, etc. Okay, so that's, uh, that's the source, or at least one of the sources for the minak not to swim, not to wash even a whole body in cold water. We have seen early in the Masechta with hot water, that's Xera. We discussed it earlier. But even cold water is an old minak that, again, because of the many, many Mikshalim that are, and the Orach HaShulchan goes through them, the many ways that you could stumble and come to do Isurim. Okay, next point in the... But again, by rainwater you can go lenient from two aspects. One is, you oinase, there's nothing else you can do. You need to get home, you've got water on you, what can you do? And secondly, um, it's Tilon Eichle, you don't want it. Okay, Omar Abai V'Tamer Rav Yehuda. Tichal Gavei Raglo, Mekancho Bekarko, Ve'en Mekancho Bekoisel. Abai says, if you're walking and you get, in the name of Rav Yehuda, if you're walking and you get mud on your shoe... You're allowed to wipe the mud off on a wall, on the ground, but not on a wall. Oh, my rover, rover says, my time of because law. Why would you say you can't wipe your shoes on a wall? It's like you're building, like plastering. That's a very poor way of building. It's like making a shack. It's not a proper way of building because you're going to use proper plaster, not mud. And therefore, again, there are a few factors here. It's the unusual way of doing it, and it's not kavona. You don't have intent to build. Your intent is to, uh, it's enemy's coming because your intent is to get them out of your shoe. But, so that can't be the problem. You're allowed to wipe the mud on a wall, but you're not allowed to wipe it on the ground. Why not? Because you might use it to fill in holes. And as we've explained, filling in holes is either choresh or boine. Itmar Braid Ravina Omama Braid Ravina said Echodzev Echodze Osur. Both cases are Osur to wipe your shoe on the wall or on the ground. 
to get Marov. Rav Papa Omar Echot Zeb Echot Zeb Mutar. Rav Papa says both are permitted. Um, again, my brother Ravina would say on the wall is a problem because of Boine, like Abaye, and on the floor would be a problem of Mashvik Gumas. And Rav Papa says you don't have to worry about them because it's not the usual way to do it and it's Aino Miskaveim. Okay, so fine. According to Mabre Ravina, who said you're not allowed to wipe it on the ground and you're not allowed to wipe it on the wall, how would you get mud off your shoes? You're, not, you're definitely not going to be allowed to go inside with that mud on your shoes. So he says, You wipe it on a wooden beam. And then you don't have any of those problems. Okay, that's regarding mud on your shoes. You shouldn't sit in the border of the maboy. Remember, if there's a lechi, a, a post, you're allowed to carry in the maboy, but you shouldn't sit on the more, on, on the actual border. Why? Dilma migandra Something will roll out. You know, the kids will be kicking a soccer ball and it will roll out, start to go into the street, and you'll quickly run to catch it and carry, and you'll end up carrying in the Rishus Arabim. Further, Rava says, a person shouldn't try to position the barrel because he'll come to smooth out ditches in the ground. Again, that's a problem of boine. What they used to do is to make sure that the barrels didn't topple. They'd like twist them and uh, rock them back and forth and push them into the ground to get them um, secure, which is you very likely to come and smooth out the ground doing that. So you're not, you're not allowed to do that on Shabbos. You're not allowed to put tufts of wool into the mouth of a barrel because you might come to schitta. When you push these wet tufts of wool into the hole in a barrel, it is the schitta, the wine is going to fall at that, or the liquid that's already in those those tufts of wool is going to come out, which is the issue of schitta. Now I wanted to mention and this is where I'll bring it in. Um, we've seen that on Shabbos, according to Rabbi Shimon, if you're doing an act that is permitted and an unintentional act will occur, Rabbi Shimon says it's permitted. So um, the, one of the examples are you're dragging a bench. You want to move a bench to sit in the shade. So you're allowed to move a bench. However, you're dragging it across your flower bed and it will make a beautiful furrow. So since it's Eino Miskavein, you're allowed to take the chance and move the bench because, again, your intent is just to move it to the shade. If it's a psikresh, it's definitely going to happen. It's soft earth and a very heavy bench. It's definitely going to make a furrow. Rabbi Shimon says, you're, um, sorry, Rabbi Shimon would agree that in a psikresha where the isra is definitely going to happen, you're not allowed to do it. So again, so that's again the general rule. If you're doing an action and a melocha mat result, mat, then you're allowed to do it. But if it's a psikresha, you can go, you're still not allowed to do it. It says, if you had kavona, even according to Rabbi Shimon. Now, the toysus elsewhere, and all the Rishonim discuss this, what happens if you don't want that to happen? So for example, here, let's say you got a, you used this tufts of wool to block up the barrel before. So they've got a bit of wine in. When you squeeze them into the hole, the wine is going to spill onto the floor and it's actually a waste. So there you don't want the psikresha to happen. You don't want the melocha to happen. So the oruch, uh, early rishon, is lenient and says if it's a psikresha de lo nechale, if it's definitely going to happen, but you don't want it to happen, then 
he says it's mutar. So it goes back to being Eino Miskaven that Rabbi Shimon would allow. Tosfos, amongst others, argue. And this is one of their sources. Rava comes along and says, you're not allowed to squeeze this tuts of wool into the barrel, even though it's a, because it must be, it's Eino Miskaven, but it's a psikrasha, definitely going to be Sritta. And you don't want it. You don't want the wine to come out, and it's still also. Again, Oruch will have to find another way to answer it, but that's an, a very broad discussion on another uh, key point in Eino Miskaven and Psikresha is what's called, as you said, a Psikresha de Lonechale, a Psikresha. It's definitely going to happen, but you don't want it to happen. Okay, Omar of Kahana, Rav Kahana says, Titch al Gabe Bigdo, Machascheu Bibifnim, Vain Machaschech, sorry, Machaschesu, Mibifnim, Vain Machaschesu, Mibachutz. If you have dirt, mud on your clothes, you're allowed to scratch it from the inside of your clothes, but not on the outside of your clothes. Why are you allowed to do that? Because it doesn't look like you're trying to clean it. If you're scratching it from the outside of your clothes, it looks like you're trying to clean your clothes, which we know it's also to clean clothes it falls under the it's malabain whitening um, whitening wool and that's the issue of washing clothes on Shabbos again you can do it from the inside but not on the outside there's a bracer which says that if you have mud on your shoes you can scrape it off with the back of a knife if it's on your clothes, you can scrape it with your nail as long as you don't rub it a lot. My love, It must be, you're not allowed to do this rubbing at all, whether you're doing it from the inside of the clothes or the outside. So says, no. You're not allowed to do on the outside, but you can do it from, from the inside. So again, you can put your hand in your shirt and scratch so that as much of the mud of food come off, but you would not be allowed to scratch with your nail on the outside. It looks like it's a isudrabonim because it looks like cleaning. Now, this is very important to note. You're sitting at the Shabbos table and some food falls on your shirt or your pants. Okay, so the clumps you can get off, but you're not allowed to scratch it to try to a good, a better clean. Um, rather, you, know, you have to change your shirt or your pants. Um, if uh, um, and to use Rashi here implies that that's only an isodrabon, and some might even hold it isodraisa. But definitely to use liquid to uh, wet your finger to try scratch it off, or to wet some cloth to try get the dirt off your shirt, that would be you running very close into. Isotoraisa, if not actually Isotoraisa, and therefore um, be very, very careful. Again, um, there's a saying that uh, what's it, the stains on your Shabbos shirt that you're wearing through Shabbos because you spilled something on Friday night, or stains of a mitzvah because you weren't allowed to wipe them off and you didn't. Again, I'm not encouraging people to go around with dirty clothes, but I think that's a principle. When you come to scratch food off your clothes or wipe it with a cloth to get it off, you coming very close to, if not, doing an Isidoraisa. Okay. Um, second last line of Kufmem Aleph Amur Aleph. Omar Rabbi Avu, Omar Rabbi Lozor, Omar Magari Minal Chodosh. You're allowed to scrape mud off a new shoe, avalo yoshan, but not an old shoe. The reason is, Rashi explains, because the new shoe 
um, is already smooth, but the old shoe, the leather started to uh, become, uh, I don't know what the exact word is, like fluffy, and therefore when you scrape it, you'll peel off the outer layer, which is smooth, uh, smoothing the leather. What are you allowed to scrape it with? With the back of a knife. Not an actual knife, because if it's an actual knife, then you'll end up peeling, even if it's a new shoe. No, erase your pricer in place and replace it with the following pricer. You're not allowed to scrape a new shoe or an old shoe. Okay, so that's as we that's the point that's arguing. Now we're just going to see the rest of their price. You're not allowed to put oil, like moisturized, but obviously liquid that you're allowed to do on Shabbos. Not allowed to put oil on your leg or your foot while it's still in a shoe. And the reason is because the oil will drip onto the shoe, and it's part of ma'avet tanning. The oil helps uh, restore it and preserve it, which is the isur of ma'avet. And therefore, that's why you're not allowed to put oil on your foot while it's in the shoe. It says, But what you can do is put oil on your leg first and then put it in the shoe. V'sach kol gufo shemen you also allow to um, rub oil on your whole body and then rub it in by lying, like rolling, on this uh, leather mat that they used to have for doing this on. I think, I, I didn't see exactly why, but I thought it's a... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly why. It's already very smooth and probably maybe oily from when you've done it before, so it wouldn't help the leather. But I'm not sure of this last point. But now just going back to the point of, uh, we said you can, um, you're allowed to put oil on your foot or your leg and then put it in a shoe. So, that's only if your intent is to shine the shoe. If it's to like improve, to restore or preserve the shoe, then it would be Osur. La Avdo Pshita, the Gemara asks, well, I mean, obviously you're not allowed to do, do this, get oil on the shoe with intent to tan it. That's Isudor, so we don't need Rav Chizda to tell us that. But two, and secondly, the Tzach who would ever allow you to uh, oil the shoe to shine it on purpose? It's Zegzeira that you might come to Ma'ave to tan it. So Eloi Itmar Hachi Itmar. If he was saying something, it must have been the following. Rav Chizda said that this that you allow to put your oil, your leg that you put oil on into the shoe is only if the most, the oil will not be sufficient to do more than shine it. Again, that was never your intent. Your intent was to put oil on your leg. It was very dry. You put oil on your leg. Are you allowed to put it in? If there's only enough oil, if there's a lot of oil on your leg, that it would be enough that someone might tan with it. Also, then it would still be forbidden to put it in your, put it in the shoe. But again, here, your whole intent was to Put oil on your dry skin. You know when you put it in your shoe, some of the oil might rub off onto the shoe. So it's only mutar if there's just enough to um, 
to shine the shoe, but not enough to tan it. A small person is not allowed to go out with a big shoe, but he can go out with a uh, shirt that's too big for him. The reason for this is shoes, if they're too big, it might fall off, it could get uncomfortable, so you'll take it off and start carrying it. However, a big shirt, it's not going to fall off, and he's very unlikely to take off his shirt and walk around naked in public just because it's a bit big. So therefore, it's not a problem to walk around with a too big a shirt. A woman shouldn't go out with a torn shoe. And she can't do chalitza with it. The chalitza is a very good woman. are much more particular about their clothes and their shoes. And if, if the shoe's ripped, she might get embarrassed and decide to carry it. Again, you come to carry in Rishus Harabim. Chalitza, we know that's with Yibum. Don't want to go into the details. But if it's this torn shoe, it's a bit yevid, it's okay for chalitza. This is Ba'ein Yoitzin Bamin al Chodesh. A woman and a person is not allowed to go out with a new shoe. But this is specifically a woman's new shoe. Um, Rashi explains because women are more particular about their shoes and that they fit nicely. And therefore, if she puts on this brand new shoe on Shabbos and starts walking around, she might decide it's not a good fit. And she'll take it off because she wants to return it to the shop. And Bar Kapor explained this is obviously where she didn't wear it at all on Erev Shabbos. But if she wore it on Erev Shabbos, even for a little bit, it seems Shahachas, then it would be mutar to wear it on Shabbos, even though for all intents and purposes it's a brand new shoe. One Bryce taught you allowed to remove the shoe from this imus, and the other Bryce said you're not allowed to remove the shoe from the imus. The imus is the shoe shape that you mold the leather around that, I don't know what the technical term is, but you have a shoe shaper that you put the leather around and you, it stretches the leather and gets it in the right shape. So are you allowed to remove your shoe from that, the shoe from that on Shabbos. So one price says you can, and the other price says you're not allowed to. Loikasha, they're not contradicting each other. The one is Rabbi Eliezer, and the one is Rabbonin. As we're going to see, we're going to bring a proof to this, but to their machloikas. But basically, according to Rabbi Eliezer, it's not considered a shoe until you've taken it off this shoe shaper. And therefore, it is mukts, it's not a shoe. And according to Rabbanon, as soon as it's made and it's ready to come off, well then even though it's still on, it is already a shoe and not mukta. Where do we see this? In the following Mishnah. If you have this shoe that is still on the shoe shaper, Rabbi Eliezer says it is tar, it cannot become tome. And the Chachomim say it can become tome. The reason is only a finished product can become tome. If it's not a finished product yet, then it can't become Tommy. So Rebeleza holds as long as it's still in a true shaper, it is not finished and it cannot become um, Tommy, whereas the Chachamim holds as soon as it's ready to come off, it's finished and it is. Now the Gemara says, this works out very well according to Rava, who says, if you have something that's Malachtol Isur, why is the shoe shaper Mukta? Because it is used for a also purpose of making shoes. So therefore it's a cliche malachtal isur. Now Rava holds if you need it for something else, then you can move it. Or if you just need the place. And here you need where the shoe shaper is to put your foot. You're allowed to move it. 
Um, again, the classical example would be a hammer is a klish malach to the It's used for building. But if you need the hammer to use for something else, like opening nuts, you can take the hammer. Or if you need the hammers on the dining room table and you want to eat there, you can move the hammer. And that's what Rob is saying here. So to the shoe um, shaper, you need its place so you can move it out. It's not a problem. But how's a bayou who says you're not even allowed, to, even a cliche malatalis, or you're not allowed to move just because you need the place. What heter is there to remove the shoe shaper? Again, even though the shoe might be considered finished and a kli, the shoe shaper is muktsa, so how can you take it out? So the Gemara answers, Hachad Amaaz Ginen, Beripui, it's on loosely. Tatanya, Rabbi Yehuda, Aymer, Imol, Yoripui, Mutar. As Rabbi Yehuda says, if it's on, if the shoe's on loosely, it's mutar, because then you can kind of just wiggle the shoe and the and get it off the shoe shaper without moving the shoe shaper too much. Guess maybe do it tilt uh, minatzad. Now, time at the Ripuyola So it sounds from this price uh, that we brought that only if it's loose are you allowed to move it. But if it's on tightly, you're not allowed to move it. Now, this fits very well according to Abaya who says some, a kli that is specifically for an also purpose, you can move it for itself, but not for the place where it is. It makes sense why only a loose, if the shoe's on loosely, you can move it because you take off the shoe and the shoe the shoe shaper gets left there. But according to Rava, says you can move something that is so you can move it if you need the, it for another for a mutar purpose or you need its place. It should be Why does the Brysa mention if it's loose? Even if the shoe's on firmly, you can move it. So again, why does Rabbi Yehuda mention loose? He says, Rabbi says that Rabbi Yehuda is going according to Rabbi Yehuda. The Tanya, as we learned in Hebrew, says Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says the name of Rabbi Yehuda, if it was loose, it's mutar. Again, Rabbi Yehuda was the one who says, as long as the shoe is still on the shoe shaper firmly, it's not a kli yet. And comes along Rabbi Yehuda and says, but Rabbi Eliezer will agree that if it's on the shoe shaper loosely, it is already a kli. And therefore you can move it. So it comes out just, again, um, firstly, the important principle is the Machloikes Abaya and Rova of a kli shemalach tal isur. Both agree if you need the osur item for a mutar purpose, the hammer to open nuts, I don't know, the shoe shape, but to some other mutar purpose, I don't know what you'd use it for. That's fine. The machloikas is, are you allowed to move it because you need the place? According to Rava, you can, and that's why you can take it out of the shoe because you want you want the shoe, you want to put something else there, your foot. But according to a buyer, you're not allowed to. And that would depend how they explain this machloikas. According to a buyer, um, when we came along and said you can move it, that's where it's on loosely. And he explained, that's what Rabbi Yehuda is saying, that it's only where it's on loosely are you allowed to move it. Again, because you can move the shoe without really moving the shoe shape, the shoe shaper. But according to Rava, why does Rabbi Yehuda mention loosely? So Rabbi Yehuda is not in our, this opinion. This opinion is all the Rabbonin who hold that. The shoe is, complete, is considered a kli. And you can take out the shoe shaper because it's a kli shemelachto le'isur. 
and you can use you can move a Kishim Malachtul Isur because you want the place where it is. Oh, so what was Rabbi Yudah saying? He's saying even according to Rabbi Eliezer, who holds that until the shoe is taken off the shoe shaper, it is not a shoe, and therefore the shoe itself is mukta. Rabbi Eliezer would agree if the shoe's on loosely, the shoe is considered a shoe and not muksa, and therefore you can move it. Okay, hadron aloch toilin, hadron aloch toilin, hadron aloch toilin, and we'll start the new perek on Sunday.